0: This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the uh, book of John, chapter 13? My name's Darren. I'm one of the pastors here. For those of you that are joining online, happy Mother's Day to you as well. I'm just going to read to you verses uh, 18 through 38. So if you've got your Bibles out, I want you to follow along with me. Heavenly Father, would you give us wisdom this morning as we enter your word? Would you give us insight into your word? We approach it with humility, with expectation, with hope that you would speak clearly to us today. Verse 18. I am not referring to all of you. This is Jesus at the Last Supper, right? This is, think Leonardo da Vinci, everybody on the same side of the table, Last Supper, and realize that da Vinci, no disrespect, got it all wrong. Um, They were not sitting in chairs. They were sitting on the floor. They were facing in, feet out, comfortable pillows, and that's the supper, that's the, the dinner that they're having right here. So he's saying, I, I, not all of you, right? Uh, I'm not referring to all of you, but I know those I have chosen, verse 18. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. He's quoting from Psalm 41, 9. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Now, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Now, his disciples stared at one another, and at a loss to know which of them he meant, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon motioned to this disciple and said, ask him who which one he means verse 25 leaning back against jesus he asked him lord who is it and jesus answered it is the one to whom i will give this piece of bread when i have dipped it in the dish then dipping the piece of bread he gave it to judas the son of simon iscariot as soon as judas took the bread satan entered him and so jesus told him What you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some of them thought Jesus was telling him to pick up what's needed for for the festival or to give something to the poor. Now, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Now, when he was gone, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, I now tell you where I am going, you cannot come. Now, a new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another." And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Judas... Anybody in here named Judas out of curiosity? Think about that. Judas, so like, this was so bad that for thousands of years, mamas have refused to name their babies Judas. Do you know what I mean? Because it became not only like a name, it became an accusation. Like his entire name became like the representation of betrayal. But there's more than just betrayal in this passage. It's actually sin itself. Sin is a word, our modern sensibilities, we don't much care for that word. Uh, It's offensive to us. And by the way, that didn't start in 2023, in fact, it started, does anybody remember the song, Steve Taylor, Whatever Happened to Sin? 14 of us. Oh, not even. Oh, that's, that's bad. CJ still has the album. Is it on tape? No, dude. Vinyl. Vinyl. Steve Taylor in 1989? released a record, and it had a song called Whatever Happened to Sin, but he was actually referring to a book that was released in 1973 by a guy named Carl Menninger, who was a psychologist. Uh, As best I can tell, not a Christian from a secular humanist, but the book was called Whatever Became of Sin. True story. And Menninger's thesis in this book In 1973, okay, I was like two years old. Mo was a negative eight. (laughs) Was that, by already by 1973, we're no longer calling things sin, we're calling them other things. Depression. We're calling things sadness. We're calling things addiction. We're we're literally taking things that some things. Now, by the way, in a room this size, some of you are going to be like, okay, but I really am dealing with actual chronic depression. I'm making a broad, sweeping statement, so this is not a, a an accusation at you, but I'm saying, like, in 1973, he was saying that there are things that were actually sin that we are now changing the language of, and the point of this book was that because we don't want people to feel guilty anymore. And so to deal with the guilt, we just changed the definition so there's nothing to feel guilty for anymore. And his prediction was that in the future, because of this, in fact, he quotes from Freud when he says that the neurotic type suffers from the consciousness of sin, just like his ancestors, but without believing in the concept of sin. This is precisely what makes him neurotic. He feels himself a sinner, but he doesn't have a word for it. Pascal says that nothing offends us more than the doctrine of sin. Yet without this mystery, the most incomprehensible of all, we are most incomprehensible to ourselves. By moving the definition of sin into a hundred different things, and not referring to it as what it really is. We've actually not helped ourselves. We've actually created a way worse world than what we could have had if you had a chance to just say, you know what, sometimes it's actually good to feel guilty. Like that guilt that you feel is not a bad thing because it will lead you to repentance without the concept of sin. If nothing is sin anymore, you end up in the postmodern world that we're in, which was everybody and nobody knows what's true and not at the same time. That was 1973. So here we are 50 years later, living in the results of we don't have the secular humanist world if we don't have sin anymore. But look, this dinner, this last supper was what we now commemorate when we come to the table. And the question of what what would Jesus do if you brought your sin to supper? Like this is a sin supper, right? It's the last supper, but everybody at that table brought their sin. And how would Jesus respond if I bring my sin? If I don't hide it, I don't pretend, I don't, but I bring it to the table. What is Jesus's response to that? And the good news is that his response is incredible. It's exactly what we need. And it's in these few verses, we're going to see that there's A course that sin takes in our lives doesn't start. Judas's sin didn't start at dinner. Started years before and grew inside of him. And the cause of sin, which I'm going to change to the cost of sin, because I want you to see that the cause, the cost we're going to see unfold in this. And then there's this command of love And I could not feel more Baptist right now than having three C's right in a row. So for you Dallas Theological Seminary people, put that in your pipe and smoke it. I can do this. I can make it happen if you need me to. (laughs) The course of sin. Judas, in verse 2, it says that Satan put this in his heart. By verse 27, it actually says that Satan entered his heart. That there was a journey of of, uh, of greediness, of, of untrust of the, of, in Judas's heart that didn't start at the moment of the 30 pieces of silver, that there was a journey that sin took in its, his life that started someplace that he thought he could get out of and resulted in a place that he couldn't escape from. I remember um, one of the times we've had Mike Koop here from Place of Hope. I asked him, is addiction a sin or is addiction a medical? Is it a sickness? And he said, yes. And what he meant was, it starts as a sin right? It starts, and by the way, it continues to be that, but it starts as a sin that I can control and ends in a sin and a sickness that I can't, without God's intervention in my life, stop, and that is in addiction, and it's not just with drugs or alcohol or with sex. Some of us, it's with anger. Some of us, it's with people-pleasing, but there's a, a course that sin takes in our lives, and I think it might be helpful. At least it was helpful for me. So humor me if it's not helpful for you. But to see that betrayal that Jesus experienced from Judas, that all sin is ultimately a betrayal of Jesus himself. That betrayal is a sin, but all sin is betrayal. And I want to show you what I mean by that. That Betrayal is two things, man. It's purposeful and it is personal. When I say purposeful, a betrayal is, is transferring from me something that I don't want to deal with, something that I don't, like the fear, and transferring it to somebody else. Like I'm betraying, and to put it differently, Judas. Let's, let's explore like maybe why Judas did what he did. We don't 100% know because the Bible, the Bible doesn't tell us. But it doesn't take long to extrapolate what he might have been thinking. Judas was at a point where he was like, we we need to overthrow the government. Like this was the Roman movement that they were experiencing in that moment was to overthrow Rome, right? To get the, the, the foot off of the neck of Israel. And so if Judas was part of that idea, which was the prominent, predominant idea at that time was we need to overthrow Rome. And here comes Jesus, who's supposed to be Messiah. They're all, is he Messiah? Is he the guy? Is he, and remember how disappointed they kept being when Jesus said, no, 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 it's not now. Put your swords down. This is not the way we're doing it here. Like Jesus was supposed to be Messiah, but he kept getting chased out. He kept healing people and then disappearing. So if you're Judas, this is not the way you thought it was gonna happen. This is super disappointing. So maybe it's as simple as he is, Judas is feeling like this is not the guy And I've got to put a stop to him because he is going to ruin this movement that we have in motion. It could be that. It could also be that Judas was simply not interested in him as his Lord. You see, Jesus, just a few verses earlier, is saying, hey, you've called me teacher, and rightfully so, but I am also your Lord, and that is a whole different category than rabbi. Lord means Lord. Lord means I am not a consultant to you. Right? What's a consultant do? You, you pay the consultant's money. The consultant gives you some ideas and some input. And you decide to do with what you want to do with the information. Jesus is not interested in being your consultant. So maybe Judas is saying, no, 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 not interested in that. But either way, his betrayal, purposeful, to deliver, to get something off of his hands, moving it to somebody else. So, for instance, Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph. God gave Joseph a dream, God gave Joseph a vision. By the way, the dream and the vision were right, it all came to pass. But what did his brothers do? They betrayed him. And how did they betray him? They handed him over. They handed it over to someone else so that they didn't have to be bothered by it anymore. I don't want this in my life. I'm handing you over. It happened with Delilah and Samson. She's like, I don't want this. So I'm handing you over, betraying you over. So ultimately, betrayal is just passing the The torch. I don't want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And so much so that I'm now going to pass that off to someone else. I'm going to pass that off so I don't have to deal with it, which is ultimately what every sin starts with in our lives. I don't want to mess with this, Jesus. I don't want you to be the Lord of my life. So I'm going to. Kick you out of this part of my life. Most of us, I would say, in this room, probably fall under a category where we are situationally betraying Jesus. And here's what I mean: When I have a guest over to my home, um, how many of you guys, when you guys have uh, company over, do you, do you do the marathon of getting the house cleaned before they get there? Nobody else in this room, of course, but in our house we do. And and here's what we know: in this big old house. When the guests come over, there are some rooms they cannot go into because that's where I just put all the junk that I cleared out of the living room into that room. Don't go in that door because you're going to see a part of me that I don't want you to see. For us, it's the upstairs bedroom that my daughter Ashley used to live in. It's become the storage now. And by the way, not only storage for our stuff, but is anybody else dealing with this as well? Like where your kids graduate and move out, but they keep sending their crap back to you Literally nobody covered this with me. Like we got an entire room full of stuff that our kids just keep giving us that like, we can't, we have, my, we have like grandma's china that they don't want for sure. But the truth is we got a whole bunch of their stuff that I don't want, but it keeps getting pushed away. Point being, if you're coming over as a guest in my house, you don't get to go into that room because you don't own that house. It is not your house. And I'm hiding that from you. My relationship with Jesus... If he is a tenant in my home, there are parts of me that I say, Jesus, come in. I cleaned the place up for you, but don't go in that room because I don't want you to touch that. That part is embarrassing. That part I'm holding on to. There's stuff in there that I probably should have taken to goodwill, but I'm holding on to it for some unknown reason. I don't want you in there. That's what you do with a guest in your house, not a lord of your house. His name is on the title lead of my heart. For me to hold back and say, you're not allowed in this part of my heart is a betrayal to who Jesus is. And he's not interested in that. He didn't give his life for me to get some advice from him. He gave his life to save me. So it's purposeful, putting that off of me and onto Jesus. But the second thing is that it's personal. You see, if I do something to someone, or let me, let me free. if someone does something to me, but I don't know them that well, it doesn't hurt in the same way as if it's, a friend of mine, if it's someone that I love and someone that I trust. To put it differently, it's doing something to somebody that I don't owe them anything. One of the things that I had to learn the hard way was I'm not going to let people online who I don't know like, speak into my life. Uh, I had to learn that the hard way because it turns out there's a lot of people on uh, social media that have a lot of opinions about my life, but they don't know me. So I don't give them that permission in my life anymore. And in the same way, I don't give them permission to, I don't believe the good stuff they say about me either, because either way, they don't know me. And they don't know you. So that's not a betrayal when someone says something mean to me online anymore that it is a personal relationship when they say something nice to me online. No, it happens in a, in a context of a personal relationship. And that is what happened with Judas at this table was that Jesus had a personal relationship. Judas owed him everything. And that's why the betrayal was so pure. It was so Hard was that Jesus owed him, or Judas owed him, everything. I owe Jesus everything. I just do. And so when I decide to take my life into my own hands and say that the commands of God are eh, good suggestions, that is me betraying the sacrifice that Jesus gave to me and that course of sin of me saying my will be done right on earth as it is in heaven not thy will is the ultimate betrayal to Jesus himself because i owe him everything i do and so do you it's somewhat a good time for a mother's day to look at your mom and realize hey you know without her i ain't i ain't here today I owe my mama everything, right? She took one for the team, if you know what I'm saying. Like, like Katie's a young mama, and, you know, what was that? About a 24-hour journey of uh, 24 hours, <laughs> right? We owe our mamas everything because of what they went through for us. Imagine what we would owe Jesus, right? It's not a negotiation. It's not a consultant. He gave us everything. We owe him everything. And the course of sin in our life is literally betraying him a little at a time, a little at a time, a little at a time until verse 20, when he says, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. That's, the course of sin is rejecting him, rejecting the one he sent, and rejecting the one of who sent him, the ultimate betrayal, because that's what Judas is about to do, which is to say, I reject you, Jesus. Betrayed Jesus. Now, that said, everyone in this room, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. That means that all of us have betrayed Jesus, and so when we bring our sin to supper, so to speak, to the Lord's table, he knows the course of sin, and what is it that he does with it? He pays the cost of it for him. His disciples stared at one another at a loss. Who is this? Who could it be? Which, by the way, one of the great questions you could ask when you come to the Lord's table, is it me, God? God? Am I the one betraying you today? Is it me? Like, show me my way. Show me those things that I need to repent of in my life. And one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, reclining next to Jesus. I got to tell you, this is the way that I would rather do dinner. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, not that we got to watch TV at dinner, but being able to lay down for dinner. I don't ask for much. Wouldn't that be awesome? Right Sure, Shannon, This Mother's Day lunch. Now we're going to be laying in the living room here. Simon Peter mentioned to the disciple again. Ask him which one he means. I love Simon. Big mouth. By this point, he'd gotten in trouble enough. He's like, John, you say it. I I just can't take it again. I'm such an idiot. You you say it, but I got to know. And so John, you know, says, yeah, I'll ask him. And Jesus says, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread When I have dipped it in the dish and then dipping in the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Those of you that were at the Seder dinner with Joey just a few weeks ago, do you remember what the bread looked like? It's this flat, cracker-like, tasteless, not, not even kind of delicious, unleavened bread in fact, in the menu of the Passover, it was almost like God thought, let's find a, a dozen different items that taste terrible and create that for our meal. And he crushed it. Because if you've ever had a Seder dinner, you don't walk away going, you know what, I'd like to door dash some of that. that that's... This is about a story, uh, not about uh, not about a good not about a good menu. So, but the bread on this menu was unleavened bread. The bread was meant to be a reminder in Israel when they had to leave rapidly and quickly that they didn't have time for the bread to rise. So they, instead of packing sandwiches and peanut butter and all, they literally took what they had, which was unleavened bread, and left. So the Passover dinner was a reminder of that moment, but why was it that it mattered that they kept coming back to unleavened bread? Sin in the Bible is a picture, a yeast leaven is a picture of sin, right? The the idea that the sin of it uh, is a picture of it. In fact, uh, I think it's Galatians 5 or or Galatians 3, that the little leaven leavens the whole loaf, which speaks of sin, and it just takes a little bit of yeast to raise the loaf. So it's a picture of sin. And Joey would have told you at the Seder dinner that not only is it a picture of sin, but there would have been stripes from where it was cooked on the bread itself, speaking of the stripes that would be on Jesus' back. So that's the dinner that they were having. This was the Lord's Supper that they had been. The same one where he said, this is my body broken for you, takes the bread, breaks it. He takes that bread and hands it to Judas. Judas. Do you see the love of our Savior in that moment? This body broken for you, and he gives it to the guy that's going to betray him. That has already begun the betrayal. He already had 30 pieces of silver in his pocket. That's the Jesus that we know. That's the Jesus that says, if you're having sin for supper... I'll trade you for my broken body. In fact, Peter, at this dinner, at the same dinner, Peter is running his mouth. In fact, I love the Luke version of this because Luke brings some insight into it. Simon, uh, Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Remember, Satan put something in Judas's heart. Judas follows it all until Satan has entered his heart. Satan had the exact same desire for all of us, including Peter. He has desired, he has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brother's but he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus, nah, you won't. Before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. In Israel, in the basement of Caiaphas' house, it's not even a basement, it's actually a, um, a cistern where they would hold water And in that cistern, it was dry, there was no water. But in that cistern, there's actually, you can still see where they had carved little holes in the top for where chains could hold a prisoner. There's places in Israel where you go and you think, yeah, maybe Jesus was here, maybe he wasn't. There's some places where, man, the Catholics have made a lot of money on this spot. But there are some spots where it's like, no, this was one. And Caiaphas' house is one of those. And when you go into that basement and you go into that cistern, there's such a picture of the gospel just in that alone, which is the prophet said in Isaiah that you have dug for yourself cisterns, cisterns that hold no water. Speaking of, it was one of the great sins of Israel. You keep digging your own cisterns, but those cisterns keep leaking. And what do you do with old cisterns that don't hold water Some of them were used for livestock. Some of them were used to just store junk or garbage because they couldn't hold water. But inside of this cistern that didn't hold water was Jesus, the living water, held inside a cistern that held no water. Such a picture of the gospel, just that, the living water. But right outside that wall, that's the thing that you get to see in Israel is that literally where where Peter was standing in the courtyard, it's like literally right outside that window. Like you would be able to hear him Because not only did he deny Jesus, he's screaming and cursing at Jesus. I don't know who he is using his emergency language. Like, I don't want to use, I just don't, I don't know who he's denying him in a way that Judas had denied him. But something different happened for Peter than happened for Judas. You see, both Judas and Peter ate the same bread that night but only one of them received the sacrifice that Jesus had for them, that, that took inside of them the gospel, that actually believed in him. Peter wasn't any more spiritual than Judas, but he received what Jesus said and did. It was a journey like all of us. It's a journey of stops and starts. It was a journey of mistakes and sin and, Repentance and sin and repentance, that's the walk of Jesus. But the difference between Peter and Judas is that Peter said, ultimately, I will have you to be Lord over me. I will follow you. I will. And Judas took the money and ran. Jesus' commands to us are not burdensome. He's not a giant cosmic buzzkill that wants to ruin your fun. He designed you. He knows that in your design, this is how you operate and this is how you function. These are the laws that I've put in place, not because he's arbitrary and capricious, but because he... He's good. He knows that the best possible way in which to raise a family is with one man and one woman together. Our society has come to a place where we want to create all kinds of definitions. I've traveled the world, and I can tell you that whether it's polygamy, polyamory, or whatever nonsense in between, One man and one woman was God's design. And brothers and sisters in America, I'm imploring you in your marriages to fight for your marriage, to fight to give an example to our children that his commands for you and I are not a buzzkill, but they're a blessing to us. It's not easy. Shannon and I, we're 29 years into this. So far she's not thrown any of my stuff on the front lawn. But we have fought with each other. We've fought for each other. And the greatest story that we can tell our children is that we fought long enough to survive this because his commands are good. And the sin of, of abuse of a wife, the sin of infidelity, those sins are sins that God can cover, that God can forgive But man, the harm that they can cause in the long term—they're just not worth it because his commands are good for us. On this Mother's Day, fathers, can I tell you, if you're married to the wife of the mother of your children, be faithful to her. Don't sin against her because what you're sinning against is God Himself. It's why that Jesus could pay the cost of that bread. Because the sin, yeah, it's a sin against Shannon if I sin against her, but you know who the sin is really against? The one who created Shannon. If someone walks into something like my, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I I used to fancy myself quite the artist. My art teacher in high school was legally blind. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. I lived in a town where teachers were either farmer's wives trying to finance their husband's farming habits or teachers who couldn't get work anywhere else. (laughs) My government teacher was anti-government. Literally handcuffed and arrested my junior year for making threats against the IRS. No joke. My art teacher... Literally legally blind, could not drive. And no disrespect to anybody if, if you're legally blind, but I mean, he was the art teacher. I just want you to, I don't want to lose that point. We always knew when it was sketch day because he had uh, pencil smudges on his nose from grading our work. And I had one goal in that art class. Don't let Mr. Mitchell anywhere near my art Because he's going to mess it up and he's going to make me mad. Because it was my art. I was creating it. Mr. Mitchell coming in here and messing it up with his nose. Like, I don't want him anywhere near my stuff. You and I are God's creation. God's poema. gods You are his creative work. If I sin against Shannon, I am sinning against God. Because she is God's creation. So the one, the only one who can forgive me of that sin is the one that I have sinned against himself, and that is God. And that is why this meal that they're in is so important, because Jesus is saying, your sin against me, I'm the only one that holds the keys to forgive you of it, because ultimately it's a sin against me. The betrayal is against God and God himself why David, when he was talking about Bathsheba and the prayer, he's praying God against you and you alone I have sinned. Did he sin against Uriah? Yes. But what he did was destroy God's work. He sinned against God. And the cost of that should have been David's life. The cost of my sin should be my life, but it's not. It's the broken bread, the broken body of Jesus saying, I will take the punishment for the sin that you have committed against me and me alone. And from that, we have the power now for the command of love, which is now a new command I give you, which is to love each other as I have loved you. And until I remember and realize that the sin that in my life was paid for by the broken body of Jesus, when I can finally get that into my heart, it then gives me the power to love you and to love you to love me, even when I get it wrong. Look, I've been pastor in this church a long time. And if I haven't disappointed you already, give it a minute. There's, there's whole new ways that I'm going to figure out how to disappoint you, right? I mean, I've come in this, like, things that I know because this is the way that we've experienced church, so I don't ever want to do that to anybody else. And I've, we, do, we try to do that. But on the other hand, I'm making up new ways. I'm going to disappoint you. And guess what? Newsflash, you're going to disappoint me. And we have a chance to say, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. He is saying that to 12 guys, one of which is already gone. He's already already screwing them. He's saying it to Peter, the loudmouth, James and John, call down thunder and lightning to the whole room, which is like, who's greater, you or me? We're all great. Look, they're all sinning against each other already. And Jesus is saying the only way that our, the world is going to know that you're my disciples is you would love one another another. This is a room full of people that love one another. I, T, uh, Tammy is with us this morning. Tammy broke her leg into a million pieces. She's got like, they went to Home Depot and got her a new, like some, some screws and some metal and put in there. I watched a, a, a church and a neighborhood come together and love her family, or kids. David was out of town. I watched people come together to love on her. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, your love for one another. I've seen it all around this room, like the way that you guys love each other. I mean, just the simple of, you know, Brady just got a new baby and the church people are bringing him. And this is so, just bringing him meals. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another, not by how mean you're going to be to each other on social media. Not, not by unforgiveness, and I mean, look, we're in a church world. We're going to bump into each other. It's complicated. It's unfortunate, and we have the power to love and to forgive each other. And that's the best sermon we could ever preach: is our love for one another. Stand to your feet. It's Mother's Day. I'm going to get you. We've already lost it. The Baptists are already at the at the buffet. But if you guys, <laughs> I don't think Baptists go to Thai restaurants. So if you go there, you should be good. <laughs> Do they? Do the Baptists go to Ty? I don't know. Father, (laughs) thank you for for, uh, forgiving me. Thank you for a world where my sin is forgiven. A world where, like, I still need the concept of sin because it's real and it's true. But it's also one that I don't live in shame and guilt because, because you paid the price for it. Thank you for your mercy on me. Thank you for your mercy on this church family. Blessings over each family that is here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day.